morning, the scripture today is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18 and 24 through 29. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in front of you. And the reading can be found on page 822 uh, to 823. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take uh, the one in front of you with you as a gift from Southside. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. And cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. And you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you, not be- you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Matt. 
And it's been a great day already to be at Southside worshiping together. I, it's always exciting to share in, uh, in baptism. And, uh, and as Matt was reading that passage of Scripture, we, we want to look into God's Word together today at this particular teaching of Jesus uh, to, to learn from it. What can this passage teach us who Jesus is? And then we're going to wrap the service up today with an ancient church uh, tradition, the communion, the Lord's Supper. Some of you may have been raised in backgrounds where it was called Eucharist, but, but this ancient custom of the church was instituted first by Jesus, and I think it will be the perfect conclusion to our time of worship today. But I want us to understand what it is we're about to do as we come to the Lord's table. And I think John chapter 10 helps to set that up for us. Uh, John chapter 10 is, is a unique chapter. Uh, it, it, John does not include any parables. If you are familiar with the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell the story from a different perspective, and they all include uh, different things. They, they all come at it maybe from their own unique angle. Uh, John does not include any of the parables. If you are familiar with the parables of Jesus, John doesn't have those in his gospel. But he does have these chapters, in particular chapter 10, and we'll see it again in chapter 15, where Jesus uses a very involved analogy to tell and teach us who he is and what it was he came to do. And John chapter 10 is one of those. We also have been talking over the last uh, few months as we've been looking at John's gospel about how John uses seven as a significant number. There were seven days in creation. And so John is embedding into his, into his account of the life of Jesus the number seven as he tells us seven miracles that Jesus performed. He also tells us seven I am statements that Jesus made. Uh, you'll remember back in, in when uh, God was revealing himself to Moses, and Moses said, you know, but when I go back and tell them that God sent me, when they ask me what your name is, what am I supposed to tell them? And God said, tell them I am. And so in John's gospel, Jesus uses this little statement, this I am, and he uses an analogy behind every one. And so we've been looking. So several weeks ago, we looked in John chapter 6 when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then in John chapter 8 where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And now here in John chapter 10, he uses two very quick I am statements. He says, I am the door, or some of your translations may say, I am the gate. And he also says, I am the good shepherd. And the two are connected. So I want to kind of explain that as we make our way through John chapter 10 today. But before we get to that, I feel like because we're all city dwellers, uh, that I need to talk a little bit about what it means to be a shepherd. Anybody in here ever been a shepherd? Anybody? Have any? Because if you raised your hand, I was going to bite you up. Because I do not speak from experience. I've been trying to do a lot of reading over the last couple of weeks about shepherds. An interesting thing about shepherds, especially in the first century, when the shepherds would work together, uh, they would come back into a centralized location in the middle of the town, and there would be a pen or a sheepfold that they would share. So as the shepherds were out tending their sheep on the hills, grazing their sheep, at the end of the day, they would bring their sheep back in, and they would put them all together in this fold, in this one place, and the sheep would all mix up inside the, the sheep pen, and the shepherds would usually hire someone. It would 
most likely have been a child, a young boy who was training to be a shepherd. This, this person, this hired hand, would be the one who would stand guard at the gate of the sheep gates uh, through the night. So the shepherds could go home, they could be with their families, they could eat, they could rest, and they could get up and start over the next day. And when the shepherds would come back, uh, the sheep would be trained to recognize the specific voice and call of their shepherd. And so as the shepherds would come in the morning and the, the hired hand would step aside, the, she, the sheep would come out of the gate and they would follow their shepherd out into the fields. It's a little different than uh, maybe more Western ideas of shepherding and herding. Uh, in the West, you see the image of cowboys and, and, and shepherds driving the sheep from behind. Uh, but not so in the East. Even to this day, in, in many Eastern countries, shepherds lead their sheep. They stand in front of their sheep and they train their sheep to recognize their voice and they've got these calls and the sheep follow the shepherd out into the fields and then at the end of the day they go back to the fold and they start it all over. This would have been something that everybody in Jesus' original audience would have understood. They would have, the minute Jesus started talking about being a shepherd and sheep and hired hands, his audience immediately knew instinctively, based on the culture in which they lived, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. So I want to take some time today and I want to talk about the, the four specific people or groups of people that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10. And then I want to take a look at what that means for us today. So hopefully you've already found John chapter 10 and you're following along. And, and I want to start by talking, first of all, about the most obvious group in John chapter 10, and that is the sheep. The idea of God's people being called sheep is not unique to John 10. It's not even unique to the gospel of John. It's throughout the New Testament and even in the Old Testament. It is the most common analogy used for God's people. And come on, some of you have been in church a long time. It's an appropriate analogy, isn't it? I mean, there are times when we act exactly like sheep, just kind of wandering around. We, we, we wander off. We're not even aware that we've wandered off. We have to be rescued time and again. So, so Jesus picks up on this idea, this ancient idea of God's people being sheep. And there are two particular things about the nature of sheep that's important for us to understand. First of all, sheep are vulnerable creatures. Of all the livestock of the first century in Palestine, they would have been the most vulnerable of all creatures. They have no self-defense mechanism at all. They're not fast. They're not strong. They can't escape from their prey. They are entirely vulnerable creatures. And also, they're not very smart. And that makes, them all, that makes them vulnerable as well. They tend to wander off. They tend to not pay attention. And so they need a shepherd to keep them safe from, from predators and from, from the predators that would come and, and, and would attack them and, and kill them and steal them. Sheep are incredibly vulnerable, but sheep are also incredibly valuable. Of all the livestock at this time, sheep would have been the most valuable. Every part of the sheep could be used. The sheep can be shorn and the wool can be sold. The skin of the sheep is incredibly valuable. The, the meat of the sheep is valuable. The milk, everything about the sheep can be used. So while they are incredibly vulnerable, they are also remarkably valuable. But listen to what Jesus says specifically about the sheep in John chapter 10, verse 4. He says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his 
voice. Listen to the response of the sheep that Jesus mentions. First of all, they know the voice of their shepherd. They have been conditioned to hear that voice and to respond to that voice. And because they know the voice of the shepherd, then they follow the shepherd whose voice they know and whose voice they recognize. So Jesus first sets this idea up talking about us. That's you. That's me. He's talking about us as sheep. But he's also talking about another character that he mentions in in verse 1, verse 5, verse 8, and verse 10. He talks about the thief. The thief. Now he uses the thief in both the plural and the singular. Uh, Jesus, if you'll remember in John chapter 9, has just been in a long confrontation with the Jewish leaders. Uh, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. Uh, These Jewish leaders had often been referred to as the shepherds of God's people. And in this particular story in John chapter 9, one of their own sheep who was blind had been healed. And rather than celebrating what was going on, the religious leaders actually kicked the man out of the synagogue. They rejected him, which isn't the reaction of a good shepherd. And so part of what Jesus is saying is a reaction to these people that he is calling thieves and robbers, that these religious leaders were not really shepherds at all. They were actually the enemy. But, but he, he talks in this passage, and he gives us in verse 10, the mission of the enemy, the mission of the thief is this, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John chapter 10, verse 10. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And throughout this passage of Scripture, Jesus gives us some important clues as to how to recognize the enemy. And and just, come on, listen. You need to understand there is an enemy. There is an enemy who's seeking to devour God's flock. And Jesus, in this passage, gives us some clues as to how to recognize the thief. The first thing he says is that a thief enters the wrong way. Verse 1, he says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. You see, as the the sheep were in the fold at night, and there was a, a young shepherd boy or a hired hand who would have been at the gate, anybody who wanted to steal the sheep would have had to have climbed over the fence somewhere else. And so Jesus says, pay attention to how people get to where they are. Listen to me. People's integrity and the process by which they come to lead matters. It matters. And Jesus says, beware of people who come in under false pretenses. Do not be deceived. If they climb over the fence rather than coming through the gate... You should know this is an enemy, and they have come to steal, they have come to kill, and they have come to destroy. The second way he says you can recognize the enemy is is that the thief's voice is unfamiliar. He says it in verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the stranger's voice. Now, listen, Christians. If you don't know your shepherd's voice, it's hard to know which voice isn't his. You You following me? If you don't know the shepherd's voice, then it's very difficult to discern which voice isn't the shepherd's voice. I know when I go into a crowded room, we may be having an event, 
in the fellowship hall or we might be in the hall as people are leaving after church. There are people in my life who I've become so intimate with that I recognize their voice over every other voice. It doesn't matter how soft they're talking. It doesn't matter who they're talking to. If I'm standing in a crowded room, I can hear Sherry's voice. I can hear my children's voice. I can hear many people's voice that I have a deep, intimate relationship with. Your relationship with Jesus should be so intimate that you can always discern the voice of the good shepherd. And by discerning the voice of the good shepherd, every other voice that is not his could potentially be the voice of the enemy. And finally, he says in verse 8, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Another way he says we can recognize the enemy is that the other sheep aren't listening and following. This is part of the reason why it is so important and critical that you be in community with other believers. That you are not an isolated lone shepherd out on the field by yourself. Not just because you're vulnerable to be attacked, you certainly are, but also because you need, you need the sheep who are around you who also listen for the voice of the shepherd so that you can clue in and know, is this God's voice in my life? Do you have people in your life right now that if you felt like God was saying something to you, if you felt like God was speaking to you about something, that you could go to this trusted group of believers and you could say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm trying to discern if this is God's voice in my life. That's one of the ways that we come to discern the voice of God through prayer, through Bible study, through Bible reading, but also through the community of believers. The sheep don't recognize the enemy's voice, and so they don't follow. So if you are wandering away from the rest of the sheep, you are in danger of being led astray by the enemy. So Jesus introduces us to the sheep. He introduces us to the thief. But he also mentions another group of people, the hired hand, the shepherd who is placed at the gate at night in verse 12 and verse 13. And he tells us something important about this this hired hand. The first thing he says is that the hired hand isn't willing to put the sheep above himself. This is just a job for the hired hand. The the hired hand was, was paid to come and keep guard over the sheepfold at night. That's it. But when things get difficult, the hired hand runs away. That's what the second thing he tells us, that the the hired hand flees at the first sign of danger. This isn't the enemy. This isn't the thief. This is just the hired hand. And the hired hand is a poor substitute for the shepherd. And that's what Jesus wants to draw us back to. He wants to make a comparison between himself and the thief and himself and the hired hand. And he says, I am the good shepherd in verse 11 and verse 14, that Jesus is the good shepherd. And he tells us some really important things about himself, things that I hope you understand to be true about Jesus. And maybe today you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're suspicious about what it means to be a Christian or even being in church today might be a big step for you. But, but I want you to understand and know how Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. This is more than just a name that he takes for himself. It has important meaning. Listen to some of the things it means. In verse 10 and 28, we, we find that the shepherd gives us abundant and eternal life. The shepherd provides that for us. We're going to come back to this verse next week as we begin a brand new series called Raised to Life. And we look at what Jesus did in John chapter 11. And we find the mission of Jesus is to bring life and to bring it abundantly. That's what the good shepherd brings. The second thing he does is that that he lays down his life for the sheep. 
See, the hired hand may not be willing to do it, but the shepherd who knows the sheep, and the sheep know the shepherd, the shepherd is willing to lay down his life. Do you remember at the beginning of John chapter 10, Jesus started by saying, I am the door, or I am the gate, and then he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. Many times the shepherd, when they were guarding the sheep at night, they would lay across the threshold of the gate. That way none of the sheep would be able to leave without stepping over them, but none of the predators would be able to come in without first going through the shepherd. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm willing to sacrifice myself But he says, listen, it's more than that. And his audience would have never understood. They may have understood everything he was saying about shepherds, and we may not understand all that, but there was something that Jesus said in that passage that they couldn't understand at that time that we do now. He said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Because we know what Jesus would do on the cross. That that he would die on the cross. He would literally lay down his life for the sheep. And then three days later, he would take his life up again. He lays down his life. Verse 14, he tells us that the shepherd knows his own. That Jesus knows his own. How often have you felt forgotten or neglected? And that maybe your story doesn't matter. Your pain is irrelevant. And people pass you by. You may have been overlooked and overlooked and overlooked. You need to know today that there is a good shepherd who knows you by name. And he has not forgotten you. And he has not abandoned you. No matter what anyone else may do, the good shepherd knows his own. He also unifies his flock. He unifies his flock. When Jesus was talking to the crowd, they were all Jewish people. And so he's talking to them, I have sheep of another uh, flock that you don't know about. Now, you can read all kinds of crazy things about this passage, about aliens and people from Mars and all kinds of things. Listen, when you read the Bible, the simplest understanding of the Bible is usually the right understanding of the Bible. Jesus was talking about something very profound. He was saying, listen, there are other people groups. I didn't come just to die for Jewish believers. I came to die for any who would put their faith in me. There are Egyptians, there are Africans, there are Americans. You guys don't even know what Americans are yet, but there are Americans. I have sheep of other flocks that you don't know anything about, and I have come to be the shepherd for all, to unify the flocks. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what heaven will be, where we gather before the throne, people from every language, tribe, nation will be before the throne, falling before Jesus and worshiping the good shepherd together. He unifies the flock. And finally, and I know this one means so much to me, and I know from talking to you and hearing so many of your testimonies, it means a lot to you too, that Jesus, the good shepherd, will never let go. He is an unrelenting shepherd. This is the image that we see in John chapter 15. You remember the parable that that Jesus told about the shepherd who was out tending his sheep. He had a hundred sheep and one sheep went missing. And so what did the shepherd do? What did he do? Yeah, he left the 99 and went after the one. Have you ever thought about the fact how that shepherd had to have such an intimate knowledge of his sheep that he would recognize that one sheep was missing? Sheep don't stay still when you try to count them. But Jesus' knowledge of his people is so intimate that he recognizes and knows when even one of the sheep have wandered away. And what does he do? He does not give up on that sheep. 
He pursues that sheep, and he doesn't let go. And just so that you'll know, when sheep wander away, they're at the greatest risk of losing their life, of falling into danger. And so oftentimes the shepherd will have to literally bind the feet of the sheep and put the sheep over their shoulders. You've probably seen pictures and images. And carry, literally carry the sheep back into the sheepfold where he belongs. Some of you have been that sheep. Some of you had wandered away and Jesus came and rescued you. And he wrestled you to the ground. You didn't come willingly. He wrestled you to the ground. And he tied you by the ankles. And he put you over his shoulder. And he carried you back into the sheepfold where you belong, where you'd be safe. And at the time, it feels like punishment. But ultimately, it's about your redemption. He never lets go. Now, I want to talk about some truths that I think apply to us from John chapter 10. Four in particular. And then we're going to take communion together in just a few moments The first one is this, you are vulnerable and you are valuable. You are vulnerable. It it is remarkable to me how incredibly fragile the human soul is. Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 41, he said, Watch and pray that you do not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Listen, we are fragile, fragile creatures. We do not have the spiritual defenses that sometimes we think we do. It just takes a moment. It takes one glance too long. It takes one overheard conversation. It takes one word misspoken. It takes a moment where we let our guard down and we suddenly find ourselves in a world of hurt. Some of you have experienced that. You would give anything to take back that word you said. You would give anything if you could bring that email back electronically. You would do anything if you had just one more chance. You stayed one minute too long. You talked at the water cooler just for a fraction of a second longer than you should have. Listen, we are vulnerable, vulnerable creatures. And God knows this about you. He knows this about your soul. It's why It's why he calls himself the good shepherd. And it's why he will go to any length to rescue you. Because he knows how vulnerable you are. But you are also incredibly valuable to God. So much so that God would send his one and only son. That God would pay the ultimate price for your redemption. Not because you're strong. But because you're weak and you need a good shepherd. And so... God's value, the value that he has placed on you is incomparable. There is no other creature as valuable as the human soul. We are created in the image of God. You are vulnerable and you are valuable. But the second truth we need to understand is that there is an enemy who is seeking to devour you. And I know the thought, that the thought is one, I have it myself. Come on, aren't we past all the devils behind every you know, every corner, and, and, and aren't, we, aren't we just more sophisticated? Aren't we smarter than that today? I mean, surely we're not going back to the idea of, you know, little men in red capes with pitchforks and horns. If only it were that easy to recognize the enemy. The enemy comes in forms that are much more sinister and much more beautiful and much more tempting than that. C.S. Lewis said there are two mistakes you can make about the enemy. One, 
you can give the enemy too much credit and see him behind every bad thing that happens. Or two, you can believe that there is no such thing as a devil. And Satan is happy with either fallacy. Either misconception. Is ha- he's, he's fine with either misconception. The enemy is out to get you. And you have to be ready. You have to be aware. Listen to what Peter said. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you remember Peter's story? Peter had just a momentary lapse. He had told Jesus. He said, Jesus, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never walk away from you. Jesus said, Peter, I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. You'll deny me, Peter. No, I won't. What happened? Jesus, Jesus is, is being tried. Peter's down in the courtyard. A, a, little, a little girl comes up and asks Peter, hey, aren't you one of them? Peter denies the first time, the second time, the third time, and then the cock crows. He, Peter is telling you, be alert and of sober mind because you never know when the enemy is going to attack. When Jesus came back to Peter, I find it so interesting. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus appears to Peter and reinstates him. Peter's broken. He's humiliated that he fell into this temptation. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Three times, Peter says, you know I love you. And three times, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. Get back to work. You may have been tricked by the enemy. You may have been captivated by the enemy. But I have rescued you, Peter. Now get back to the good work of tending the sheep. The third thing I think we take from this passage is that lesser shepherds will fail you. Lesser shepherds will fail you. Lesser shepherds have already failed you, haven't they? It doesn't matter how godly your spouse is. They will fail you. It doesn't matter what your parents believe and and the way your parents have raised you and and trained you. They will fall short. People who do what I do will fail you. We are hired hands. Some of you have been injured. Some of you have been wounded by people who do what I do. And I am so sorry that you have confused the failure of a hired hand with the performance of the good shepherd. Because the good shepherd will never fail you. Listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 146, verse 3 through 5. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground on the very day their plans came to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is from God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Lesser shepherds will fail you, but the good shepherd never will. And that's what Jesus wants you to know. That Jesus says, he is, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, Jesus, was sent to rescue and to bring you home. That was his mission, to rescue you, to redeem you, to keep you protected from the enemy, and to bring you back into the fold. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful picture I can't help but think as John is furiously writing down the teachings of Jesus, as Jesus is saying this, I can only imagine what was in John's head. I'm sure that John must have been thinking about Psalm chapter 23. This image, this promise that goes all the way back thousands of years before 
where the psalmist wrote the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Listen, if Jesus is your good shepherd, you'll, have, you'll never have a need for a hired hand. You'll never have a need for a lesser shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you get that? Listen, believer. This world is a valley trapped in the shadow of death. And Jesus, the good shepherd, has entered into the valley of the shadow of death to lead us through it. And he's got a rod and a staff. Sometimes they're used to fend off the enemies, but sometimes they're used to knock us back into place. Because he cares more about your eternal security than he does about your temporary happiness. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then at the end of this passage, he gives this incredible promise of what's on the other side of the valley. He says, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house. I will dwell in the sheepfold of the Lord forever. You know, I can't help but think as Jesus stood that night with the disciples around the table that he understood his mission as the good shepherd, what it would cost that Jesus would lay down his life only to take it up so that we might be rescued, so that we might be saved. That night in the upper room, the disciples gathered around and Jesus took the bread and he said, hey, this bread is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the wine and he said, this cup, this wine is my blood which was poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me, your good shepherd. Remember the price I was willing to pay. Remember how vulnerable you are. Remember how valuable you are. Remember that there is an enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Remember that there are hired hands who will not be willing to sacrifice to do what I am willing to do. That I lay down my life for you. And the invitation for us today is to come to the table. To walk through the valley And to place our hope in the table that he has prepared for us. A table that he has set. That he himself is waiting to serve us. I'm going to invite our deacons to come forward. And we're going to take these elements together and we're going to serve you communion. And uh, we do it a little different at Southside. So come on, you guys come on down. and um, As you come and take these elements. um, it's, It's important for us to understand. Go ahead. We invite you all who are believers in Jesus Christ to come forward and to, uh, to take of the bread. And as you receive the bread, you'll be told that this is the body of Christ that's broken for you. You'll be invited to take that bread and to, to, to just dip it into the wine. And you'll be reminded that this is the blood of Christ that has been poured out for you. And we're going to ask that if you're on the outside aisles, you come down the sides, the outside And that if you're on the inside, you come down the middle. There are also people serving uh, in the back, in the foyer. So if you're sitting to the back of the room, there are also folks in the balcony. Um, You don't have to be a member of Southside Baptist Church to participate. 
We invite anyone who is a believer in Jesus to participate. And maybe today, maybe today you would say, I need to follow the good shepherd. Maybe today by taking communion, it's a statement of faith for you that you want to follow the good shepherd. We, we want you to, to hear the voice and to respond as he leads during this time of communion. If you're unable to come forward, you just stay where you are. We have folks who will, uh, who will come through the uh, congregation and serve you. If you'll just remain seated and, and motion to them, they'll find you where you are. But will you pray with me as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together? Father, as we come together, as the church has done for thousands of years from the time Jesus first gave us this beautiful symbol, Lord, we're reminded that you have sent the Good Shepherd to rescue us, to redeem us. And maybe today we've needed the reminder that we are still vulnerable people walking through a dark valley. And Lord, we're so grateful that you give us yourself. Lord, may we recognize and know your voice. May we follow after you. Lord, today as we take this bread and we dip it in the wine and Lord, as we're reminded of the incredible price that you are willing to pay for our redemption, Father, may it change us. May it make us more like the Good Shepherd. Father, that we would be on mission with him in this world to go out to find the other sheep who have wandered away and to bring them back to you, the one and only Good Shepherd, the only worthy Shepherd. For we pray this, In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.